Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris. It has taken a long time, but we finally got Bill's dad to break up during a traffic report. Um, that is because we are watching some of the coverage of the convention. And I think we just absolutely, by the way, I'm Scott. Jeff is off today. He'll be back, uh, not tomorrow because there's basketball tomorrow. And then he'll be back on Wednesday. But we're watching some of the coverage of the virtual convention. And I'll be honest, I think we just have to lean into the absurdity of the virtual convention. I agree with the virtual convention. That doesn't mean we can't still make fun of it. For example, <laughs> There's cardboard cutouts of Bob Euchre and Major Ghouls. What is going on? What are we doing? Uh, anyway, Tony Evers, the governor, Tony Evers, sit up! Sit up! He's, sl- he's like slouching in his seat as he welcomes the nation's Democrats to Milwaukee, and they cut to his video, and he's kind of like half, he's in a suit, but the suit's a little disheveled. He's kind of just kind of sitting back like, hey, well, I don't even know what he was saying, but sit up for crying out loud. And then they had the virtual, what did you say? The virtual breakfast. (laughs) Ooh, what are you having? And there's Evers has got a bowl of oatmeal in front of him, and Tammy Baldwin's raisin bran got to stay regular, and you know Mayor Tom Barrett, somebody's he's got a he's got somebody making an omelet behind him. To each their own. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Mark Pocan, Lego my ego. <laughs> now would it be virtual food or real food? Would they be drinking like a fake cup of coffee? Like they do on television shows. <laughs> yeah. Do you do that when you watch TV shows? I'll watch to see if it's a cup filled with liquid or not. You can totally tell. You can tell. Like if they take a swig of something out of a cup and then it's quickly put down or, you know, it's supposed to be a cup of coffee, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's just kind of uh, haphazardly set down. You go, well, there's clearly nothing in there because nobody would be that, uh, you know, uh, cavalier with sure. a hot cup of coffee. I just, look. This is what it is. I think we completely just lean into some of the some of the some of the absurdity. Then can we call it necessary absurdity of a virtual convention? Uh, Vin, Vinny Vitrano is there. Great vantage point. TMJ Four News, of course. Great vantage point outside the Wisconsin Center. I think he's on the roof of a parking garage. But you look behind Vitrano. I haven't seen I haven't seen a single person walk on the sidewalk behind Vitrano in the last ten minutes. What could have been, what should have been, I know it's not, and nor should it be, and I don't know. Kyle Paczynski producing the program as always. Did you have a virtual breakfast today, Kyle? Or did you have a literal breakfast today? Did you have a realistic breakfast? I had a little bit of fruit, had some eggs, that's about it. What's the opposite of virtual? I guess it would be realistic. Uh, physical, fi- right? Or literal? Literal? No, literal and figurative our opposites a physical breakfast <laughs> i guess that would be it i don't know all right okay that's enough we will keep you posted on any other comedic observation it's not that funny it's the system it's america the politics okay i know i know we can smile can't we actual actual somebody's saying on the text line so an actual breakfast a virtual breakfast Okay, yes, thank you. 
Uh, let's see. 262 Texas says, I saw live MSNBC coverage from Convention Center in Wilmington, Delaware earlier today, from which Biden will make his acceptance speech Thursday. Almost looks like more behind-the-scenes people there now than here at the Wisconsin Center. What could have been, what could have been. Okay, so we monitor that. And what did you, We could take calls. What did you have on your... Vir- if you could have a virtual breakfast, what would your virtual breakfast consist of? Hmm? What did your actual breakfast consist of? I do, by the way, we do have a Biden-related campaign nugget that I will bring you in Great Scott. We'll do Great Scott in the 2 o'clock hour. We're going to get to the Packers news over the weekend. 80% of ticket holders have opt season ticket holders opted out. What is your immediate reaction to that? I think that's pretty high. I was kind of surprised and taken aback to some extent. 80%. Hmm? 80% of season ticket holders. So we're going to uh, probe that a little bit. If you are one of the 80%, if you're not, you've now made your decision. I want to know why, one way or the other. I do want to touch on what is happening because there are schools that are returning to classes as we speak. And so it begins. This very truly unique experiment. It begins this week and for the next several weeks. And I want to examine the, I say the tactics the, in essence, marketing campaign that colleges and universities are doing to convince their students that we really need you to follow these COVID guidelines. We need you to follow these rules because these schools, certainly maybe not the uh, behemoths, but a good chunk of schools and universities across this country, they have a lot on the line, right? This could be for some a make-or-break year, considering what is on the line financially, what is on the line for them in terms of proving themselves to be doing everything possible to keep students healthy. A lot on the line. And we learned what Madison is doing and others to convince students that very unique 18- to 22-year-old age group that while you may think you're invincible, there are others you need to think about, and we need you to do this right so that we can keep functioning and keep you in the classroom. We'll get into that. But when we come back, something happened on Friday, and I know Jeff has certainly talked about this, and Steve Scafidi and John Mercure, they have discussed at length what has evolved or devolved in Wauwatosa over these last couple of weeks with the Mensa case with the mayor putting in some new restrictions on Thursday. So when we last spoke, I was with you on Friday afternoon, but when I signed off at 3 o'clock on Friday, there was a list of restrictions, an order put out by Mayor McBride. Well, within an hour or two of this show ending, things changed, and things changed again on Friday night in Wauwatosa. And I want to dive into some of that, because... I think it's revealing in some cases on a few different levels. And it also, again, speaks to just leadership. Leadership. Talk about that a lot. I know Steve does as well. Leadership. And what it showed about the leadership of Wauwatosa and what can dictate rules and orders, apparently, 
in Wauwatosa. So we'll get to that right after this. I'm Scott Warris. I'm in for Jeff till 3 o'clock on WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, so Wauwatosa, Friday afternoon. Uh, Thursday, we go back to Thursday, and and, um, Mayor Dennis McBride, he put out that statement reiterating the rules, the ordinance that he was saying would now govern any protests, any demonstrations in his city of Wauwatosa, like discharging fireworks without a permit, um, picketing in individual private residences, trespassing inside private businesses, obstructing, blocking traffic, failure to disperse an unlawful assembly. There are all these pieces of the ordinance. One of them, remember, and I, I think we would all say the the one that got the most noise or the most um, or was most noteworthy was the fact that remember noon. To 8 p.m. That was the the time frame during which they would allow protests. You got to be there between the hours of 12 noon and 8 o'clock. We saw Thursday night. What happened? They were there late into the night. Protesters again. We saw it Friday night as well. But, but Friday afternoon, the ACLU of Wisconsin, their executive director, wrote in response to the Thursday order, quote, we hope city officials understand that they cannot target protests for less favorable treatment than other similar events. The city allows other special events, such as block parties and take back the night marches, which can go until midnight, and people can walk on streets and sidewalks at all times of the day and night, so so long as they don't violate other laws. So the ACLU publishes that on Friday. Mayor McBride goes back and revises the ordinance, the order. And he has confirmed that he wrote a new one. The statement removes the protest hours of noon to 8. His revised statement went on to say, these restrictions are intended to cool things down. Our community temperature, not just in Tosa, but in Milwaukee, very hot right now. I think we need to cool down and let people protest peacefully, but emotions are running so high. I'm really afraid for people's safety. These restrictions are intended, again, to cool things down. So, if we're following the timeline of this, it's just a real head-scratcher. Because, to begin with, I was working under the assumption, and fine, say I'm a fool, foolishly so, fine. I was working under the assumption that if a mayor is going to put out something as potent as he did on Thursday, would you not have cleared all those points with your legal team, the city attorney? It would be, you know, somewhat, somewhat rock solid in that, If there are challenges to this, we feel pretty good in what we're putting forth that it'll stand up should anybody want to take it to a courtroom, things like that. That's how I operated. I took it on its surface for being, okay, a mayor is putting this out. Clearly, he or she is doing this with the knowledge that this is, in essence, legal. Hmm? Then, the ACLU 
voices their opinion on the situation, right? And we can debate, and maybe we can, about whether or not you agree with the ACLU when it comes to the actual noon to eight time frame. But regardless, ACLU pushes back a little bit. Could I say a little bit? At least with a statement. I'm not sure if they threatened legal action. I, I'm not able to draw that out from what I see here, but I may be wrong. In essence, they, they push back going, we don't think, and I read it to you, the executive director, Chris Ott, we hope that officials understand they can't target protests for less favorable treatment than others. He uses examples like block parties, take back the night marches. They can go until midnight. So from what I can view, they, the mayor gets a little pushback, and then by Friday at 4 says, okay, never mind, never mind. Forget the whole noon to 8 p.m. thing. We're going to take that clause out of my order, and everything else will stay as such. They, he, he did um, make it more clear that picketing is not permitted at individual private residences. But between that and then the removal of the protest hours of noon to 8, that now is the new order governing Wauwatosa. And we saw the protests get heated again on Friday night. You have varying stories of if it was escalated by the police that blocked off a street, if it was escalated perhaps by some of the um, some of the members of the protests. I- I'm not sure. But just the, what you say, the optics of this, the optics of a mayor putting forth an order that one would think would be pretty rock solid, then an ACLU pushing back, putting out a statement. And then the mayor says, okay, never mind, forget it. Forget the hours, which was kind of the headline of this all. Anybody want to react to this? I'll just throw this open as to how this played out. I'm, I'm not so much looking for, you know, we, we lock them all up or, um, you know, we should be allowed to roam the streets and the lawns anywhere we want to go. I'm not looking for those extremes, but just the optics of this. And dare I say, just the formatics of how this played out Thursday and Friday. Because again, I think it does speak to leadership. The next time the mayor wants to do something that apparently would come off as bold, I'm going to go, well, how bold is this? How legally sound is this? Because the last time you back down after a couple hours when one particular group, the ACLU in this case, pushed back on it. 855-616-1620, the Accident Mortgage a talk and text line, 855-616-1620. We'll move on if nobody wants to comment on it. That's fine. But I, I think I think it is important. As as I've I've said throughout a lot of whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the the movements for social justice in this country and close to home in southeastern Wisconsin, watch how those in positions of leadership act, react, and respond. We're learning a lot. I don't know Dennis McBride. I don't believe no, I've I've never I'm just wanted to double check. I've I've never interacted with him. But I think it is a little revealing as to his would you say form of leadership or lack thereof as to how this back and forth now you see it, now you don't played out over the last couple of days what does that say for others who want to challenge something the mayor does i mean this is now in his 
in his file, shall we say. It's now part of his resume as citizens of Tosa and surrounding residents form opinions of how this new mayor he was elected in the spring is going to be on this issue or other issues. So it, it, you form an opinion as well of, of, a, of, a, of an official's leadership abilities and characteristics. And I think this is a factor that will have to be taken into account moving forward. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Real quickly on the uh, text line here. Mitch and Sturgeon Bay speaking to the optics of what's coming in Wauwatosa, what's coming out of the mayor's office in Wauwatosa over the weekend. Optics are... No one knows who's protecting the so-called peace there. Is it the mayor or is it the ACLU? Who stands for the residents? Uh, Mark from River West. According to the mayor, he had the ability to set parameters. And now the ACLU wants to promote violence so the violent protesters have all the rights. They're, they're not all violent. I should point that out, Mark. I know the point you're making in terms of, well, who's, who's, who's dictating to whom, right? Hmm? Texter says they're all gutless. 414, how's this any different than the governor putting out a mandatory mask requirement or an election postponement and then having that legally challenged? There, there, there is a certain similarity there in terms of I'm going to put forth, put forth this order, make this change as an elected leader. The, the difference would be with, with Evers, he did it knowing maybe it was on shaky legal footing and obviously in case of the election deal you know lost the mask or mask ordinance how come that hasn't been challenged yet is anybody else speaking of challenging anybody else surprised that thing is not in the courts i mean it's been how many weeks now three weeks or so since the statewide mask or two weeks three weeks since the statewide mandate went into place and Republicans haven't run to the state Supreme Court. I think I lost money on that one if we were having a pool as to how long after the ordinance went into place that Republicans would run to to the state Supreme Court. I'm kind of surprised about that. So there are similarities in comparing Tosa uh, McBride to the governor here in Wisconsin. We'll see. But again, it just speaks to what does that tell you about how he leads? Um, I don't know. And like I said at the top, I'm just kind of surprised that somebody would put forth, Eric Bilstead is here, somebody would put forth that order on Thursday afternoon. I was operating under the assumption that, okay, you know you can do this. Your city attorney, your legal team has said you're good to do these things. And then it only took a little bit of a pushback, just a little nudge from the ACLU to take out that noon to eight clause. Yeah. That was it. You think that comes That's, back to haunt him a little bit? The mayor? So, yeah, it sounds well, like Well, I think it did already Friday yeah, night, yep, did it yep, not? Yep. I, and so moving forward, again, just like Evers, you're right to the text, just like Evers, the next time, the next time you put forth something that may be controversial or a mandate of some sort, are you going to be forced to back down then? What will it take to get you to you know, come off your stance then? I don't know. I don't know. Other people are texting what they had for their virtual breakfast. <laughs> Back to the virtual breakfast thing again. But I just think we had to touch on that right out of the gate. Okay. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
All right, so I need um, I need to hear from Packers season ticket holders on this one. Okay, I need to know how you voted. Biden or Trump? No, no, another vote. I want to know if you opted in or out. Did you opt in or out? Apparently, more of you opted out than in. Eighty percent, more than eighty percent of Packers season ticket holders opted out this year, according to Mark Murphy. Okay, told the website, uh, told the team's website over the weekend that those survey results factored into the decision. Remember that there's not going to be fans at the first two games at Lambeau this year. Murphy said the fact that that high a percentage of our fans were not comfortable coming to games was a factor that weighed into my thinking. Obviously, here in Green Bay, we know how much our home games mean to the local economy and to the local community. But at the end of the day, the most important thing was protecting the health and safety of our community and our fans. So 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know there's a lot of Packers season ticket holders out there. I know Scafidi opted out. I think he did. Yeah. Did you opt out or did you stay in? Now, remember, if you opted in, that doesn't guarantee you tickets. It gives you an opportunity to purchase game-by-game tickets this year. But I want to know why. And, and, and if you're not a season ticket holder, I want to hear from you as to if you think more than 80%. Does that surprise you? Is that number higher than you thought? I'll admit, I'll admit that number is higher than I would have expected. Scott, what would you have expected? Um, I guess maybe maybe 60% on the high end. I don't know. I just thought... I'm kind of surprised. I, I don't disagree with that decision. It's a personal decision that every fan has to make for a variety of reasons, none more important than one's health or the health of friends and family. But 80%. I was surprised. 855-616-1620. 262-Texter. I am a season ticket holder, and in speaking with my fellow season ticket holders, the vast majority are opting out. Huh, interesting. More because of the kneeling during the national anthem, not the virus. Now that That's anecdotal. I, I, I don't know, although I don't doubt that the people you have spoken to are saying because of that. The only thing I would say there is nobody has knelt in an NFL game yet, although it would appear that that's going to be pretty commonplace. But nonetheless, you can opt out for other reasons, I suppose. Uh, Let's see. 262, again, I'm done with the NFL when they decided they were going to air the uh, anthem known as the the African-American anthem. Okay, but I don't know if you're a season ticket holder or not. And and to be honest, I separate conversation for another day, maybe for later this hour, about whether or not you're done with the NFL. I, I highly a lot of people who say they're done with something, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Four one four. Uh as a Milwaukee ticket holder, the reason we opted out was the game times. Sunday night. And a Monday night. Okay. But specifically here we're talking to COVID. I'm assuming that's why a majority of folks <laughs> opted in or out. Because i got to tell you, if you opted out because they might kneel, that's probably not just going to be a one-year thing. And if, they, if, you, if you're a season ticket holder and you opted out because they knelt or because the players might and coaches might kneel, 
you may want to just give up your season ticket whole, uh, season tickets altogether. Like, period, not just opt out for 2020. I mean, say, put me off, but take me off the list because I don't think that's going to be changing anytime soon. But back to the opt in, opt out decision. Let's go to New Berlin. Let's talk to Carlene. Good afternoon, Carlene. Did you opted out? I understand. Yes, yes, Scott. How are you? It's Queenie Carlene. I'm well, thank you. Um, no, yeah, go ahead. Good, good. Okay. You know, we have had these tickets since in the 50s. Well, I don't think I've missed more than three games, but I opted out immediately because I go because I love the pack. I love to cheer for them. I love to have fun. I love to tailgate. And if I'm going to have to wear a mask and stay six feet apart and probably not be able to tailgate, why am I going? Hmm. You know what I mean? I can watch it on TV and scream and holler at my... <laughs> right, so right. that's my reason for opting out. I'll go next year. has nothing to do with the kneeling. If sure. they want to do that, well, that's their choice, mm-hmm. not mine. But, uh, so the fact yeah. that there would have been, what did they say, uh, ten to 12,000, it, it still would have lacked the atmosphere that you would have needed. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I already, as soon as that schedule comes out, I had hotel mm-hmm. uh, registrations i had to cancel all those of course but no absolutely i just it's not the same you Mm -hmm. have to have that you know shoulder to shoulder and you know just have fun yeah thanks for the call thanks for the call carlene i appreciate it very much i have i have underestimated the impact of an atmosphere at a live sporting event and i know in baseball for example matt Pauley covers the games uh, at Miller Park for us, Brewers extra innings. He told me a couple, or last week, when the Brewers uh, were in town with the Twins, he said that even he had a hard time getting juiced for a big at bat in a game, and y- you can't, you can't overemphasize how much is taken away. No matter how much crowd noise you pump in, you can't overemphasize how much is taken away from the from a baseball atmosphere. Big at bat in the ninth inning or eighth inning, whatever. And yet when there's crowds not cheering, it, it does play a role. So the first call we get from Carlene opted out, not incidentally, first and foremost, because of a health concern, but because the atmosphere would not be the same, whether it's because you're wearing a mask or whether because there's only ten or 12,000 people as opposed to, what does it hold, 80,000, something like that. 855-616-1620, AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you're a season ticket holder or know somebody who is, are you one of the 80-plus percent that opted out? Why or why not? And if you're part of the 20% that opted in, I'd like to hear from you as well. Stick around. More in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Speaking of Packers football, looking for their first trip to the big game since Super Bowl II, Green Bay Packers stepped out onto Lambeau Field with a chance to bring an NFC championship back to Titletown. Tune in this Sunday at 6 o'clock for another Packers classic as Brett Favre and company take on the Carolina Panthers in the 1997 NFC Championship game. Yes, indeed. Packers-Panthers. That would have been the 96th season. January of 97, the NFC title game. Sunday night, 6 p.m., Packers Classic, sponsored by 
Health Tradition, Sitzberger & Company, CPAs, and West Bend Insurance. Hope you enjoyed the Packers Classic we brought you last night. It was pretty cool to listen to Jim Rowan and Max McGee again as they called that big playoff win in Detroit, the first of the Favre era. But right now, talking 2020 Packers, 80% of season ticket holders opted out. If you are one of them, why? If you're part of the 20% that did not, why not? 855-616-1620. To Oak Creek, let's talk to Kathy. Hi, Kathy. You're on WTMJ. Hi. You opted in or out? We opted in. How come? Well, the number one reason was our 20-year-old daughter would have killed us. That was... (laughs) (laughs) We were going. There's some pressure there. Okay. Yes. We had Bears tickets. Hmm. So we had the Bears game. Um, That was number two. And three, we figured if they did it properly, like if Mm -hmm. not everybody was going to go, we figured we'd be able, probably be able to spread ourselves out. Mm -hmm. And you need to be there. The Packers, if there's an opportunity to be there and we can be there safely, they Mm -hmm. need their fans. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine them playing without fans there and you know aaron we want to see him win another super bowl <laughs> sure no look we all do That's absolutely <laughs> oh yeah no for sure and, and, and the clock is ticking in more ways than one right now for Aaron Rodgers. but um so it, was there any did you have any hesitancy any thought of uh, i don't know if this if the atmosphere is not if the atmosphere if, if you're there kathy it's not going to be the same 10 to twelve thousand people it, were there any doubts in your mind other than, you know, your your 20-year-old pressuring you? <laughs> Not, maybe, maybe a little bit, but, you know, like if there were 75,000 people there, yes, that that would be frightening. But mm-hmm. um, one of our games, we only wear gold package, so it's cold, and we figured we're all covered up anyway. Your faces are covered. Um actually don't like being squished in like a sardine, so having a little more space might be nice. But, um, no, I mean, at home I don't I don't have 75,000 people in my living room, and I don't have a problem screaming. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, thanks for the call. You got you're in front of the TV, you're jumping up and down, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You're going to have to scream extra loud this year. Thanks for the call, Kathy. So um, Kathy opted in. Yeah, the elbow room will be nice. And if you are one of those folks who gets to a game this year at Lambeau, you're going to have plenty of elbow room. Gus in Partyville. Hi, Gus. You're on WTMJ. Did you opt in or out? I opted in. How come? The reason I opted in is I remember I sat at a football game back, I don't know, it was 84, 85, Packer game against Tampa Bay when – got 15 inches of snow or whatever, and there was, what, 17,000, 18,000 people in the stadium that day. Mm-hmm. And uh sat there that day, and I thought, okay, smaller stadium at that point, larger stadium now, less people. It was a great, great opportunity to watch, and it's like there aren't going to be any problems uh, sitting and watching uh, a game mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in that situation. So, like I said, I'd had been there once with a small crowd and figured I can handle a small yeah. crowd. Yeah, there was a time, thanks for the call, Gus, there was a time when uh, the, the small crowds on a Sunday at Lambeau were all too common. 855-616-1620. Quick break, and then we'll uh, wrap this up with a couple more texts and calls on WTMJ. One more quick call here. Waukesha, Don. Hi there, Don. Did you opt in or opt out? I opted out. 
and reason was I just didn't feel like they were going to really be able to secure enough uh, health and safety issues in a group setting like that. Mm-hmm. That's completely, you know, I respect that a decision and that opinion absolutely completely. And yeah, it, it's, it again emphasizes the very personal decision that everybody has to make for your own health, Don, for, for those around you who may go to the game, for your friends who family who may never go to a game, but you then come home and interact with them. And it's completely fair for you to, to feel that way. Thanks for the call, Don. Now I know the Packers are saying we are going to do everything everything possible to maintain as healthy as clean as sanitary an environment as possible and i don't doubt that for a second but again the personal decision is uh, in this case don's text line some really good points that have not been made by calls um we opted out the texter says because my husband was out of work for three months yes we've talked about the health factor we have talked about um uh the environment crowd factor the atmospheric factor Hello, the economic factor. We just can't flat out afford it this year because, in this case, my husband was out of work for three months. This might be, as diehard a fan as you are, it is completely respectable and fine. It's okay if you go, look, we love the Packers. We'll cheer on the Packers. But our 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 bank account is not what it was last fall when we were gearing up for an NFL season. That is another that is another factor that you have to take into account. Remember, for those of you that opted in, now, the fact that there's less than 20% of people that opted in, it's going to better your chances, but you aren't guaranteed a ticket. You're basically in a lottery system, and it'll be a game-by-game a ticket sales lottery, so to speak. So... Just because you opted in, although your odds are now better, right, does not guarantee that you'll be there. However, your odds are improved because over 80% apparently have opted out. A lot of factors at play. Fascinating. We'll see. There will not be fans for the first two games, as Mark Murphy says. The first chance to host fans at Lamp. If you are going to be there, your first shot will be November 1st against the Vikings. Appreciate everybody's participation there. When we come back after the news, back to school, back to school. And some interesting ways that higher education is going about trying to convince their students that going back and following the guidelines is so very important. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris. Well, we, we have footage of people walking around the convention center. It is a buzz with activity. I think it's just Charles Benson, though. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. Hmm. Oh, wait, there's, we're just, oh, oh, that's a camera guy. Just the virtual convention. Hey, hey, everybody. Is it almost, you know what? It's 109 if they had their virtual lunch yet. <laughs> what are you having for virtual lunch? Uh, leftover virtual breakfast. <laughs> it's, it's possible. All right. Uh, I was going to make the point. I made it to you, Eric. I said, Man, what a great weather week this is shaping up to be. Low 80s, 
high 70s, what could have been, and then you so aptly reminded me, well, what could have been would have been the In convention July. a month ago. And <laughs> yes. I guess we have to go back and check what the temperature of what the weather was like that I, week in I think July. It was a nice week. Was it? It was a nice week. Yeah. <laughs> just, I don't know. Isn't I, it amazing to think, though, that the DNC would have been a month ago, yet the RNC still wouldn't have taken place until next week? They had them scheduled so far apart. Were they? Mainly because, yeah, mainly because of the um, the Summer Olympics. Oh. That had separated the two. That's why the DNC was so early this year. I forgot about the Olympics. I forgot that those were canceled, too. Yeah. When we go through the litany of all the things that were... We never mentioned the summer. I, I always forget this. You're right, the Summer Olympics as well. So the RNC is taking place the same week it always was. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, all right. I guess I hadn't, if I knew that, I had forgotten it or something like that. Hmm. Interesting. So what happens to the expansion plans of the downtown convention center? Does that, is that just, sorry guys, for a bunch of reasons, just not happen now? Boy, you you wouldn't think it would. And I, I keep going back to whether or not this is a new normal of, you know, profitability. Can you, if you can hold a convention, whether it's a presidential or any company's convention, without actually having to fly everybody in, do you start doing that? Which would be so unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I like this text, 920. You guys do realize we're living through a pandemic. I don't get the sarcasm. Yeah. It's, we're, yes. <sighs> you guys. Yes, I know. And I, we, we said at the top, and I, I realize you haven't been listening since 12 o'clock, that I agree with what they've done. But that doesn't mean we can't just lean into some of the sarc. If, if you obviously haven't heard me on the air before, because if, 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 if there's not sarcasm in, in a show that I do, then it's, my God, it's not a show. <laughs> yeah. By God, it's not airworthy. <laughs> so, yes, there's plenty of sarcasm. Yes, there's a pandemic. That doesn't mean we still can't make fun of the fact that Tony Evers slouched his way through the virtual breakfast. That doesn't, you know, prevent us from making fun of the concept of a virtual breakfast <laughs> leading a, to a virtual lunch. Is there a virtual, a virtual hap- mayonnaise on your face yes, from your yes. sandwich? <laughs> Let me use my virtual <laughs> napkin and wipe it off. But you know what's funny is that you don't hear much about next week. We haven't heard a lot about what the RNC is what planning is to do. What is the plan? If anything, I, mean, there, I know the president's going to speak. Nothing in Jacksonville. That has been scrapped. Right? It's going to be in Charlotte to the extent that this is in Charlotte, um, to the extent that this is in Milwaukee, and then the president wants to give his acceptance speech maybe the, from the White House. But there's limitations on to what he can right. and can't say from the White House in terms of a political speech of some sort. Not that that stops people. Sometimes. So, yeah, so I'm curious if it will be very similar to this. Are they watching this week just to see and then maybe see which what, what works and what doesn't? The whole idea, we talked about this last week, this whole idea of an applause line. You're going to give this great applause line, and then there's no applause. Like, well, how, And they say there's going to be a balloon drop. <laughs> like, was, what? How? Who? Virtually, in his basement, Joe well, Biden sitting there. It'll be, And then the camera pans up, and it's Jill Biden just throwing balloons down on him at the top of a ladder. <laughs> or is it like when you type happy birthday in a text and all those balloons come down? Yes. The text? That's what it's going to be. Everybody's computer screen is just going to have virtual balloons dropping. We're asking everyone to type in convention now and see the confetti on your phone. So there are... There are cutouts of famous Milwaukeeans in restaurants. I saw yeah. that's what Major Goolsby's is yeah, doing. Like Euchre and stuff. Mm. I don't... It's just... 
All right. Sorry. Yes, there is a pandemic, and it is very serious. And the convention, I think, is doing the right thing. I'm saying this now for people who don't know me or haven't been listening long or whatever. I think the convention is, the party has done the right thing in doing this. Better to be safe than sorry. You're not going to bring a, how old is Biden? 77? Seven. 77 year old man in to, during a pandemic, put him on a, you're right not to bring him in. I think it's disappointing, but it's the smart move. I agree with the extent of limiting it all. That doesn't mean we can't just sit back and make fun of it. <laughs> okay? There you go. All right. Speaking of the pandemic, speaking of the pandemic, colleges and universities are getting back in the groove. High schools, grade schools, middle schools, junior highs as well. But it's interesting to me to have learned from Rebecca Blank, UW-Madison Chancellor, last Tuesday when she was on these airwaves during our WTMJ Cares roundtable in the afternoon, to learn what methods, Madison, for example, but I'm sure others as well, colleges and universities are, the measures they're taking, the measures they're taking to convince and in essence sell to their students, their 18 to 22 year olds, that we need you to follow the rules and we need you to follow the guidelines because a lot of this We can set up all the infrastructure. We can set up all the social distancing. We can set up plexiglass. We can downsize classrooms and all this stuff. We can do all these things from an administrative perspective. But if you students do not follow the rules, there's a chance you throw everything off the rails. And I found it very revealing and really interesting as to what Madison is doing to try and, in essence, convince the students as to the importance of how they are to act, behave, conduct themselves during a pandemic. We're going to relive, and I'm going to replay the comments of Rebecca Blank. Very revealing, very interesting. For those of you who are college age, recent grads of college, university-level schooling, I want you to think about if this would be enough to convince you to follow the rules, follow the guidelines. And for those of you who maybe are a little bit, um, shall we say, uh, further removed from the college age of 18 to 22, think back to how you were during that time in your life and think, is this something that would have convinced me? Is this enough that would have convinced me to follow the COVID guidelines as an 18 to 22 year old. So we'll bring you those comments and we'll get your reaction as well. You can start thinking about it. 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff is off today. I am Scott with you until three o'clock. Last week, Rebecca Blank, UW-Madison Chancellor on these very airwaves and was asked, was asked, how are you going about trying to ensure as best you can that your students who who hold the success or failure of the COVID era Madison schooling, how do you go about convincing them, asking of them, dare I say demanding of them, that they comply with the new COVID campus guidelines? So and this is something, while it's being answered by the head at UW Madison, let's be honest, this is a this is the the linchpin 
question and answer that every single college and university, no matter the size, no matter the scope, every single college and university across this country, this is the question that is being asked. This is at the center of everything that they're trying to pull off. This is how Blank answered the question. Very interesting tactics to which they're going. We um, have done some focus groups um, through our marketing department over the summer asking what are the things that are most convincing to students as to why they need to wear masks, why they need to follow these health protocols. And, you know, there are two answers to that. Um, You know, students are actually not very motivated by saying, look, you've got to protect yourself because I think too many students, rightly or wrongly, think they're relatively invulnerable um, to be harmed by this disease. We've all been to college. They are very (laughs) responsive, however, to um, being told, look, you need to protect the community. You need to protect others. Um, You need, you know, not just the campus community, but the larger Madison community. And so, you know, it's what badgers do. And so we have a whole marketing campaign around that. The second thing they respond to is, you know, interesting. It's, you know, the price of being in college and not at home in your bedroom with your parents is that you have to wear a mask and follow health procedures. And it turns out they're quite responsive to that argument as well. Um, so, you know, we've got a major marketing campaign going. Um, you know, we've been very clear about expectations. Our students are also signing a pledge. And, you know, I, I'm optimistic that the vast majority of our students are going to follow this. For the few who don't, um, like um, my colleague, um, we do have a series of escalating sanctions that we will impose. I would have never thought that. I, I want to just say that I think it was very creative, maybe some outside-the-box thinking to how do we go about convincing these students? And it's more than just rules are rules, these are the rules, and if you don't comply, here is your punishment. Like for me, that would have been, if somebody would have asked me, how do you think Madison, how do you think colleges and universities are going about convincing students? Well, they're saying these are the rules, this is what you've got to do, and if you don't do it, you're going to be punished for it. And as she said, there will be an escalating degree of punishment for students who don't comply. But that isn't the way they've gone about it. What are the two things she said? What is your reaction to what she said? Let's throw this open, 855-616-1620. If you are a college-age student, or maybe little bit younger or a little bit older you can closely relate with the mindset of an 18 to 22 year old if you are beyond that age range you can still take yourself and and go back in time some more than others but go back in time and try to recall how you thought as an 18 to 22 year old and ask yourself and then i would ask you to call or text and tell us ask yourself would I comply with the rules, knowing that they're going about it this way? What are the two factors at play? She said, based on the focus group and the response that they've gotten, that A, this particular era of college students is much more concerned about how can I protect others? The factor of protecting others is more of a driving force than protecting me. Hmm. Interesting. That really is interesting. It is that, what have I been saying for months, since mid-March, we over me, the we is more important than me, very selfless mentality. And apparently, according to the results of their focus groups, their surveys and whatnot, 
playing the we over me card, which is a legitimate card to play, carries more clout with current college age students. And I love the second one. What was the other one? If you don't follow these rules and guidelines, we're going to end up having virtual online classes, which means you're going to be back at home with mom and dad. Do you really want to be back home with mom and dad? Is that really something that you want to do again? Did you enjoy doing that in the spring? Hmm? No? Well, then you follow the guidelines, follow the rules, get your friends to follow the guidelines and follow the rules so that we don't have to have you back at home with mom and dad. Isn't that a remarkable selling point? That, what would you say, veiled threat? I don't want to go back home. What isn't it? Is isn't it more fun? Isn't the college experience about being on campus and everything that goes with that? And yet, if you don't enjoy your campus life within these rules and guidelines, you're going to be back with mom and dad. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Those two factors are what is driving the marketing campaign, and it is very much a mar- an, an internal marketing campaign from administration to students. And like I said a moment ago, do not think Madison is unique to this. I know for a fact that there are those arguments or, or those, those, those marketing tools being used on students all over the country. That's why I want to hear if you are of that age range, and even if you're not, think back and go, all right, Like, I have been out of college for 15, 16 years. Would that work for me? Would the we over me argument, would the you're going to go back to mom and dad if you don't keep it up, would that work on me? Would that work on you? 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's head out to the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line here. Brookfield, it's Austin. Austin, you're on WTMJ. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, man. So um, would either one of these, uh, would you say tactics, or I should say arguments, would this impact your decision as to how you act in college? Yeah, so, yeah I mean, I, I think both of them would. Um, I do think most importantly, so I'm a recent college grad, actually from UW-Madison, and I was on campus last spring and even over the summer. And, you know, the main thing is that when, like, us college kids are talking about doing things, you know, in a group of people, um, say, like, I'm going home next weekend or a friend's going home next weekend, that's when they're like, hey, like, I'm not going to come over. Like, I'm going home in a week. I'm seeing my parents, my grandparents. Like, I don't want to get COVID and then, you know, bring it home to them. So it's definitely that kids are more worried about their families, their grandparents, everything like that more than themselves because, I mean, it is kind of factual that, you know, younger kids are, are less susceptible to being severely harmed. Um, so, yeah, first and foremost, the students definitely care more about harming their families than, than themselves for that reason. You know what else impressed me, too, was that Madison, and I'm sure they're not alone, Madison chose to do, like, focus groups, reached out to the students and, and asked for their input maybe select, you know, percentages of them or maybe with student council, I don't know, but got student input on what is going to what is going to hit home the most 
with your fellow students? And they came up with these two answers. I think that says something rather than, you know, the adults, quote unquote, the administration sitting behind closed doors, opening up the door and going, okay, here's how we're going to force you guys to follow the guidelines. The, the, The student involvement is an important factor in this. Yeah, definitely. And like like you said, I mean, the administration can put out guidelines, but at the end of the day, if the students don't follow it, it you know, it's not going to be very beneficial. So I agree. Yeah. Austin, thanks for the call. I appreciate it very much. Uh, a few texts I'm going to get to as well. as And uh, we'll keep the lines open at 855-616-1620. And again, Austin, um, just a recent college grad of Madison. But even if you're not... Put yourself in the 18 to 22 year old mindset and what would it take? What convincing if you think you would need some? Maybe not. How apt would you be to follow the guidelines set forth by your college or university? I think one thing that Madison is doing, and I know a lot of schools are doing as well, when it comes to Thanksgiving break, fall break, is that one and the same? I guess it depends. Um, those last couple of weeks between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, the end of the semester, those will be virtual. A lot of schools are saying, no, once all these students leave for fall for Thanksgiving break, we're not going to have you come back because then again, it's that coming and going that leaves university campuses susceptible to the virus. So they're going to take those final few weeks and make them all online. But up until then, they're going to do their best to make it as normal quote-unquote, as possible. We'll continue after the news, so 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, good texts coming in. Let's give some of the some of the credit where credit is due. 262, I am well past college age, but this would have worked. I like that they're asking them to be adults that they now are. Yeah, treat them like adults. They may not act like adults. They may not want to be considered adults, but you're adults. Time to start acting like it. Yeah, the, the, the simple fact that Madison went to the students and said, okay, what's going to be an effective way to emphasize the rules that need to be followed? And That's great. Um, let's see. 262. I think like with everything else these days, it's all about the politics of an individual student and their family. That probably plays a role. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm not so naive anymore. There was a time when I was. as to think that doesn't play a role, especially when it comes to the we over the me. Hmm? 9-2-0. I'm 35 years old, and to me, I am more concerned about the older generation who is not following the mask mandate more than any other generation. So again, it's that I'm thinking of others more so than me. 414 Texture. When my kids were in high school... I used to threaten them with homeschooling if they didn't behave. (laughs) I wouldn't have expected the we over me to be effective for that age group, but heading home for school, yeah, that would have been, that would have had the desired impact. (laughs) If you don't not, we're going to keep you here and I'm going to be your teacher. Okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. (laughs) Okay. What about you, Kyle? You're not that far removed from your wild days at Point Point, right? Stevens Point? Yeah, Stevens Point. I mean, what? 
what would have worked? What would these, you know, we over me, would that have been enough to convince you and your friends? And, and, or, or would the whole, if you don't do these things, you're going to be stuck at home. I, would that have worked? I think I've been pretty malleable when it comes to any kind of policy that's been sort of put, put, put in my face. Like, Hey, this is a good idea to start doing now because I feel like we've had so many different changes of what works and, and whatever. Um, but I think like having having that policy put forth and like uh, expressed to me in a very direct way, like this is how it has to be, or otherwise we cannot make this work. Mm-hmm. That'll be enough for me, um, especially I think for the students that are uh, in in campus housing. Yeah. Um, so th- for those that are in dorms, whatever, uh, or or in the external dorms that are maybe a, a mile and a half away, Apartments, whatever. Yeah. Like that, yeah. But I think the off off campus housing that's where it's they don't the, the university doesn't have really any jurisdiction over that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, unless if it's like social pressure from between between your peers. I wonder. Have you remember the NBA when they started the bubble? Said they were going to have a snitch line. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. I imagine that whether it says something has, you know, there's different communities too in in Wisconsin that have developed a sort oh, of, of snitch right, line. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's something as bold as calling it a snitch line. No. But I, I'm willing to bet that Madison and all these college campuses and universities have some some sort of system set up so that if you know there's a house party going on where it's just wild and woolly, willy nilly, everything's being allowed, going crazy. That somebody can drop a dime on that house. That's, I mean, if if it got to an issue where I feel like if I'm in a duplex and the and the above neighbors yes. are doing all that, and I know that I'm not comfortable with it, and I express that to them, and then it still goes on, then I think, yeah, some, the, the snitch line has a purpose. Then it's it's also it's also something to say when it comes to peer pressure. It's really interesting. I remember talking about the peer pressure factor in sports during this. For example, do you want to be that Milwaukee buck who, because you acted foolishly at one point, either in the bubble or outside the bubble, leads to an outbreak on your team, and you're the one that kept Giannis from playing in the finals this year? And if he doesn't play in the finals this year, maybe he doesn't come back, and suddenly you... Or do you want to be that Los Angeles Laker that goes out, brings the virus back, you got an outbreak, and you kept LeBron from winning another title. There's that colleague-to-colleague NBA athlete peer pressure. We're seeing it. I don't know if you, and you're a baseball fan, so you've seen it, maybe, what the Cleveland Indians have yeah. gone through over the last three days. Mm-hmm. They, those two guys, uh, Plesak and Clevenger, those are two guys who are starting pitchers for the Cleveland, starting pitchers for the Cleveland Indians. And because of what... They did, when they were on their last road trip, went out, broke team rules and guidelines by going out on the town. The team, the players voted that those guys drive themselves back to Cleveland, and now they've been demoted. Well, Plesak had to drive himself. did, But Clevenger was on the plane uh, and didn't mention anything about it. Yes. The, the, The news about Clevenger came out a little bit after the fact. The team in essence, voted those guys to go back, I say AAA, but there's no AAA this year. Alternative site. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Those are two front-line pitchers. They're not back-of-the-roster scrubs that nobody knows. Talking now peer pressure. 
Let's take that same idea, transfer it to the college and the university level. The role of peer pressure to the point you bring about, I'm living upstairs, and I know there's guys and gals downstairs that are living and doing things that they should not be related to the COVID uh, guidelines. There's peer pressure that might very well be applied in those environments and at those levels, too. And let's be honest, Kyle, there are there are... Uh, examples of peer pressure that are more impactful than rules and laws or guidelines that are set forth by any governing body. Rebecca Blank and the administration at Madison can say and do whatever they want, but sometimes, I might say many times, it is the pressure that peers can place on one another that carries more clout than anything anybody in a governing position can bring down. I think you, you bring up a good point, but with the, the Cleveland Indians compared to, you know, like the, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, the Cleveland Indians have, have a linear, altogether goal that they all share together, and that's to win games and win the championship. I mean, there there it, it, uh there's so many other teams in 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 college uh like i mean my my upstairs neighbors might not have anything to do with me or not, might not want anything to do with me they might have completely different ideals on the on the virus and things like that so i think it's harder to convince other people that don't care about it to care about it mm. so yeah i think in that regard it is going to be harder for the university to externally on the on that off campus have mm-hmm. that pressure as well yeah, it may, may, maybe the, the peer pressure argument is not a, a complete apples-to-apples analogy with the sports analogies, but there, there is a certain degree of peer pressure, more so in a different way for sports. You're right. On a college campus, yeah, if, if the people living downstairs are strangers, they don't give two hoots about me upstairs. They don't know me. They don't care that I have a big test next week or that I'm on the, a team on a cross country team or something like that. Um, man, it's just the, the dynamic at play is just a really fascinating one. Just from a, from a, as a social experiment. And, and, and we've all gone through this in the workplace. I think we all know people in, in the workplace. If you are indeed back to work, we all know people that have taken this, this pandemic, differently that have followed the guidelines differently maybe some not at all maybe some to the letter of the law as it were and do you do you use peer pressure in the workplace to say hey look bob i know you think that this isn't as urgent a deal as i do or some of us do but we really need you to wear a mask when you're walking down the hall or I know you think it's not a big deal, but could you please wear that mask because Jerry over there is a diabetic and has a compromised immune system, and it means it may mean more to him than to us, but do it for him. I, I don't know. It's just the social dynamic at play in all this is a really fascinating one, and I think when the volumes and volumes and volumes of literature is written on the pandemic of 2020 that will be just one chapter one of many chapters but it will be a truly fascinating one to read and we don't need to read it because we're living it right now welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj all right we're going to do this here 855-616-1620 on the accident mortgage talk and text line 
I was prompted to do this by uh, one of the texts that, among other things, said, better safe than sorry, rules and guidelines. If I never hear those phrases again, it'll be fine with me. And it was in a larger context, but I did have a little bit of a chuckle, made me smirk, because there have been, over the last uh, April, May, June, July, we're at month five, okay, over the last five months, there are certain words, phrases, terms that we have heard at nauseum. I have used them probably on this show. And I will again on Friday when I'm in for Wagner again. I'm, but nonetheless, there are words or phrases related to this pandemic that have been drummed into our heads. And I want to know what is the word or phrase. We just have a couple minutes here as it relates to the pandemic that you are sick of hearing. Now, for our one friend on the text line, it's it's the phrase "better safe than sorry," and rules and guidelines. I have a couple as well. I have one particular phrase that I I've taken to just kind of smiling and laughing to myself every time I hear it. But let's be honest: over the last five months, there may be four or five things that we have heard. A cluster of words, a term, a phrase, whatever. And you're like, ah, there it is again. Can we not find other terms to use which mean the same thing? Just to freshen up the jargon a little bit? Huh? I know what you're thinking. I know that. I know you have something. Whether it's a news reporter or a talk show host on the radio or your friends. It's like, ah, there's that line again. Can we, can we find new words that equate but just are different? I'm sick of hearing that same phrase over and over again. Now, I want to point out, I'm not saying that you disagree with the phrase. You don't have to disagree with it. Because the phrase in my mind, I agree with it. I'm just sick of hearing it. So, again, not asking you to pick something out that you disagree with. But what is the word or phrase, the term related to the pandemic, that that you are sick and tired of hearing. 855-616-1620. Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know I enjoy having fun with words. This would be one such example. 855-616-1620. Let's go to Janesville. Let us talk to Karen. Hi there, Karen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. I don't want to be told to pivot anymore. I'm tired of pivoting. I know we have to pivot, but I don't want to pivot. I don't want to pivot for meetings. I don't want to pivot for work. I know life's handed us something, but I don't want to pivot. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm looking right now. Hang on. I'm going to look it up. Give me a synonym for pivot. I'm going to give you a new term here. Let's see. Synonym for pivot. Uh, the ver- okay, here we go. Here's some ones you can offer, Karen. Do you, okay. <laughs> what do you think about, we need you to swivel, mm, now rotate. I don't, I don't think they want me swiveling or rotating at work. <laughs> what a, turn, oscillate. How about that one? How about that one, Karen? Karen, oscillate. we need you to you oscillate. <laughs> we need you to oscillate due to the pandemic. <laughs> Sounds more fun. <laughs> there you go. Use oscillate and see the reaction, and then and then try to um, find the reaction of your coworkers. When what, what did she just say? Oscillate. Okay. <laughs> then you're going to send them to the dictionary. They don't even know what it means. You're going to say it means pivot, exactly. but I don't want to say pivot. 
<laughs> Thank you, Karen. There's a good one. That That is a good way to start. 855-616-1620. Real quickly here before the top of the hour, what is the word or phrase as it relates to the pandemic over the last five months that you are sick and tired of hearing? You may agree with it. You may disagree with it. I don't care. That doesn't matter. But it's just a phrase that you are, quite frankly, you're sick of. All right, to the phones. (laughs) Stephen Waukesha, what has annoyed you when it comes to the terms, words, phrases, pandemic-related that you're just sick of at this point? Well, the thing that gets me the most is that, uh, you know, we've been in this uh, situation for many, many months now, but I just can't stand it where the anchors and the reporters are so far apart, but yet they still have to tell you (laughs) we are socially distancing. It's like, yeah, we can see, so are we. You don't have to draw our attention to it. Nothing needs explaining. We get it. That's a good one, Steve, and yeah, it's just do it. Everybody knows why you're doing it. You don't need to draw attention to it. Rich in Burlington. Hi, Rich. How you doing? Yeah, I think he just took my thunder. Social distancing has been wore out. <laughs> yeah, and you know, from the beginning, or it wasn't long after this thing really got rolling, that somebody at some point said, we should have been using the, and we could now, we could change it. I think, Rich, you and I should start the physical distancing, because that's what it really is. It's not social distancing. It's I love it. physical distancing. I think, Rich, you and I, as of today, you and I, every time we want to say social distancing, you and I and everybody else listening should start using the phrase physical distancing. And let's see in a month or two if we've gained traction with that. Okay, is that a deal? Count it done. Thank you, buddy. All right, back to the phones. Okay, Molly. Molly in Muskegon, Michigan. Hi, Molly. Hey, how are you guys doing? You are going to mention are you mine. in this? Because we're all in this together. <laughs> oh, there it is. We're all in this together. Yeah, a lot of people on the text line are fed up with the phrase, we're all in this together. You don't oh. like that one, huh? No, I don't, because really we're not. <laughs> Do you know we what? Are, but we're not. Yes, well, here, here's a good way of thinking about it. And I, I heard this, I was actually listening a couple Saturdays ago to the Fox World Travel Show, Saturday mornings. Rose Gray and Danny Clayton, here's how they described it. We're not, because somebody said, um, we're all in the same boat, same concept, we're all in this together. We're not, right. all, we're not all in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm. And I'm like, you know what? I like that. I like that. Because some, <laughs> let's true, be honest, some, some of our boats, some people's boats are bigger, more luxurious, more stable than others. And then you've got some people that are just trying to bail water out and keep the boat afloat. afloat. Thank you, Molly. That's I right. appreciate you listening over there. All right, this one real quickly here. Karen in Germantown. This is another popular one. Hi, Karen. Hi, um, the new normal. I just can't take it. I just can't take it when they keep saying that. And then they wear the mask on TV. Oh, I, you can't understand what they're saying, or uh, it's just too much. Yeah. yeah, the new normal. A lot of a lot of texters uh, dropping the new normal um, on yep. the text line, and that—that uh, yep, that is. Um, <laughs> it's a not good a new one. normal. I. I Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris. 
People don't like the term flatten the curve. I haven't heard flatten the curve in a while. But that's because we haven't heard from Tony Fauci in a while. Although, although, if you want to hear from Anthony Fauci, you got to go to Matthew McConaughey's Facebook because he did a live face, uh, Facebook Live with McConaughey, and that's the only way we hear from America's doctor anymore. 920 Texter doesn't like hashtag alone together. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, I mentioned that for the texter who said, I, I'm sick of hearing the term NBA bubble. Uh, I apologize for what's about to happen. That's because we are going to talk right now. Justin Garcia joins us in store, but we are physically distancing. Uh, getting ready for the Bucks playoff game tomorrow. You hear him on the Bucks radio network, pre, half, post, all kinds of good stuff. Justin, this is kind of like, because we have some playoff games going on right now, this is kind of like, you know, an NCAA tournament feel. We missed it back in spring because it was scrapped. We're kind of getting an NCAA tournament vibe for folks who are basketball fans because you're going to have all these playoff games, two arenas basically, but running, you know, noon through well into the night. This is kind of fun. It's kind of cool. It's a nice setup, um, you know, to go that long without sports, and now all of a sudden we have it in droves here. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know... Take it while you can because right. it's going to last for about a week. And once <laughs> right. we get to the end of this week and you'll have uh, teams starting to get picked off in the first round, then it's going to go back to a normal mm-hmm. schedule. And once we get to the second round, it's going to be uh, somewhat normal. The biggest difference is if you were uh, one of those individuals that one of your primary gripes with the NBA and their postseason is how TV ruined it. And we have way too much time off between games. Those days are gone. It is literally... Every other day that your team is going to play, except for between games four and five in the NBA Finals, that is the only scheduling gap where there is two days off between games. Oh, wow. So, okay, I didn't know that. that now, that doesn't account for, let's say, the Bucks sweep, and they play the Heat, and they go to seven. Well, then, yeah, it's a little longer. Other than that, every other day. Can you explain for folks maybe that have just been on the fringe and following this um, in, the, in that respect, how is it, because I think we, we, we can fairly say and and, it's safe to say the nba has done it right they've gotten it right to this point and they've been at it for several weeks now what they haven't had a positive covid test and i don't know you know the answer to that but not since they got to the bubble the bubble the bubble the bubble the bubble concept is apparently the successful way to go as as we've watched major league baseball kind of bumble and stumble their way through the first several weeks of the season can't say that for the nba they've done it they've got it right Cliff Notes version or the full syllabus here? Um, <laughs> no, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the bubble, it's testing, it's all the resources that the league has poured into this, which, you know, they have spared no expense here for uh, testing for their players, for the coaching staff, for team personnel, for media, for everybody involved in it. I know there was trepidation when you thought about, well, what about the Disney staffers? And then you started to see, Oh, okay, there's only so much the league can do because of the whole union aspect. But even that, they have still tried to negotiate some things. What they've done is basically cut the staff out of it entirely. Where, yes, the Disney staff is still doing their job within the hotel, and you have those people going into clean rooms and dropping off meals, but there is zero contact with the players or anybody within that NBA circle. That is... That's... In a way, pretty amazing, because when we first learned about how this was going to be set up... That was the potential for disaster. Yes, the, 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 the hotel staff, the bus driver, because yeah. those 
correct me if I'm wrong, those men and women are coming and going. Yeah. They go, they go to work, they go back home, they leave the yeah. bubble. And how, how would you prevent the virus from working its way in through those carriers? And that hasn't happened. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how you account for it with things like the bus driver, because that's the area that's, you know, the most gray area mm-hmm. where you're leaving yourself up for some liability. But, um, you know, in terms of the Disney staff, we've seen, um, whether it's media or some, uh, team officials and employees down there that have documented this, what, the whole experience is where you know they drop off the food but they're not going into your room they're dropping mm-hmm. it offside they're using tongs to carry your bag of food and setting it down now those days are done where now there is freedom to go to restaurants this was in the initial 10-day quarantine phase for everyone uh, but same with cleaning the rooms where obviously the player or uh, whoever it is the individual from the league is not there when the staff member goes in there to do it so between that and the testing and just the differences in the testing that they are using versus what we're seeing with major league baseball where these are results that uh, the league can get back in 12 to 14 hours and everybody basically has a cutoff time where they need to be tested by each day where it's up to you do you want to get tested in the morning late morning afternoon whenever it just has to be done by i believe uh, sometime in the early afternoon where we need you to get tested by this point and in most cases by the end of the day they have the results yeah it's remarkable and again the the comparison and the the, the contrast with the other major sports leagues is is pretty remarkable well and i not just real quick i yeah. think the other big thing we've seen too is the testing that the league has developed working with i believe it was princeton where they have now pioneered the saliva test yeah, the, the fda just yes. approved that over the weekend yeah what what does that mean for the general population what does that mean for you and me no. Uh, my understanding is it's mostly cost. So I believe it was, you know, this is something that we can do for $4 that you or I would pay probably about $20. But still, that's a huge difference from what some of the other mm-hmm. testing costs are we're seeing. Hmm. Wow. Uh, let's take a quick break. Justin Garcia, you hear him on the Bucks Radio Network. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Bucks. What have we learned from their eight-game ramp up to the playoffs, which start tomorrow? By the way, uh, coverage will be at 12 o'clock noon tomorrow, tip-off at 12.30. So in this very time slot, 24 hours from now, you'll be hearing the Bucks' playoff matchup. So um, we'll get Justin's thoughts when we come back. Scott Morris in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Spending a couple more moments with Justin Garcia on the Bucks Radio Network. Okay, so what, maybe I could ask this two different ways. What should we learn from the Bucks three and five, eight game ramp up? What should we learn? What should we just set aside and not really put much stock in? Hmm? Um, I'll start with the latter. Okay. The three and five record right. and any of the stats that came from those eight games. I'm just setting those to the side. Really? What we did learn is they're human and they have the same level of complacency as the rest of us. Hmm. Okay, but on the court. So is there anything that happened on the court that we can maybe think might show up again or in Lopez. the playoffs? I mean, I think that's the, the biggest thing that we got from these restarts is Brooke Lopez and the offense is back that he was shooting about 45% from three in the seeding games. I think he played in six of them. He shot about 50% from the floor. He averaged 
over 20 points a game where, um, you know, for as many questions as there are that people have about Eric Bledsoe, if you get that from Brooke Lopez, the pretty formidable big three that you have with Giannis, Chris, and Brooke, that, you know, that answers a lot of the potential questions we could have, which, which I think the big one is still, uh, who's the role player that's going to step up and hit some big shots for you? The hope is that it's George, Mi- uh, George Middleton, George Hill. And I think if you would have asked a number of people in January and February, the belief was it would be Dante DiVincenzo. We did see some positive signs towards the very end from Dante. But, uh, you know, in terms of big takeaways, I just look at what Brooke did and that's it because I saw enough where they came out and they look close to them old, their old selves in the first game against the Celtics. Uh, you saw it in stretches against the Houston Rockets. You saw it in the second half in a game they really wanted against the Miami Heat, regardless of how flat they were in the first half, that you know we saw it in stretches where, to me, it, it seems pretty clear. We knew going in, these games were meaningless, that the magic number was two. Once they clinch it, you just wanted to stay healthy, and that's what Bud harped on after that Grizzlies game of, look, you can't overestimate you can't overstate how important it is we are healthy going into the playoffs we're able to keep these guys fresh they're back in the swing of things now it's on to the playoffs that it just seemed like at times we saw a very unmotivated group that knew we're done we're ready for the playoffs and this is a very strange environment to have to go through meaningless games in so when you look at the points they were allowing i think there you know people maybe are were are concerned defensively they're just not at the level uh that they had been during the season before the interruption or even last year do you then from what you just said largely chalk that up to relative disinterest in what they were doing knowing what was already secured um yes to the for the most part that i would say you know you heard players and coach Budenholzer reference it a lot that uh, our defense is predicated on energy and effort. And uh, far be it for me to say one of the professional athletes on the team maybe didn't have the most effort that day, but that was my... They're only human. Right, and that and and the fact that you heard their teammates and coaches say the same thing, I, I guess, would lend to that. The other part is we saw across the board offense was up within the bubble, that... It stunned a lot of people around the league, a lot of coaches. Bud talked about that as well, and and just how quickly the offenses came out ready to go that we thought you know, it would be a while to get to that point. And you've seen different theories on the reasons why, that no fans in the stands and and making it really more of a shooter's environment with the sight lines is certainly one of them. But, you know, the Bucs struggled defensively. They were at about 10 points per 100 possessions more than they were during the normal part of the regular season, in which they led the league by a wide margin. Really, the only team that we saw defensively show up was the Toronto Raptors in these eight games. One of the things that has really been interesting to watch in baseball is the teams themselves, because, again, the absence of any fans, the teams themselves responsible for their own energy, just something from the dugout. And it has been really interesting to watch the NBA. And with each passing game, it seems like those sidelines, those teams... Those guys who aren't on the court at any given time, they've become more demonstrative. Yeah. Uh, they, they realize the value of of being their own 
crowd and and yeah. it's going to I mean, I imagine it's going to ratchet up a whole a whole other notch once we get into the playoffs. But those guys realize if we want some juice, it's on us sitting here on the bench right now to, to bring our guys the juice. Yeah, and that was one of the more interesting things Kyle Korver uh, actually talked about after I think it was the Raptors' loss last week, where he he was very candid and had a lot of interesting things to say. Where you know he was the one where the losses were starting to pile up at that point, and the questions kept popping up of, you know, are, are you guys concerned and how do you view this? And you heard most of the same, whether it was Bud or Pat Connaughton, Giannis and Chris of, you know, we just got to apply ourselves more on defense. And that seemed to be the singular message we were getting. And then Kyle Korver came out and said, essentially, this is a fork in the road for us, that all the good teams go through this at some point in the season and we have to decide do we want to keep going through the motions and get to the playoffs and assume we can flip the switch, or do we have to figure out what we have to do to steer this in the opposite direction? And I think, you know, for Kyle Corver, it's no coincidence that think about where he was the last few years um, playing in Cleveland with LeBron James and going through that, where the Cavs were definitely a postseason flip the switch team that, you know, Kyle Corver is getting used to that and thinking, guys. We can't treat this as though this is a given, and, and we have to approach this differently. I've seen it play out both ways, my time in Cleveland. But the other thing he said was, you know, the other thing that makes these games interesting is we have to bring our own atmosphere. Yeah, you know, we it. have to travel, act as the traveling fan base. Now, it's going to be interesting to see in the second round because that's when players can have, I think it's up to four guests hmm. come, and they're in Tier 2 of the bubble, which Alex Lazary had talked with last week on the Bucks in 60 podcast. Uh, he talked about the Tier 2 and what it's like, where you know obviously you're not with the rest of the reporters and around the players, but there's basically a fan section for you to sit in and watch the game that once you get more and more of that, and it's just not you know a select few owners, maybe we'll start to notice a little different atmosphere for the second round and on in the postseason. That's interesting. All right, one more quick break when we come back then we will ask justin what will it be that pushes the bucks to the finals and winning a championship and what is the one the one question mark that still needs answering that may be may be something that keeps them from doing that so we'll look at both sides of the coin real quickly because tomorrow at noon the bucks playoff run begins right here in wtmj Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Two minutes left here with Justin Garcia. Okay, both questions. What is the one thing that pushes the Bucks over the top, win the whole thing? Other side of the coin, what is the one the one question mark you have, the, the one, dare I say, fear you have that it could keep them from falling, just falling short of hoisting the trophy? The one thing is Giannis. He is the best player in the league, and uh, we have seen him continually take it to the next level. I'll be curious to see if we do see any increase in minutes for him. I know Bud has been very cautious about that, but that was the big hang-up last year. But you know, we've seen Giannis when he has been on this year in the restart. He's, again, been the best player in the league. The one question that I have is, who is that secondary shooter that can knock down a shot for them? Because think about last year. With, uh, you know, thinking about Nico Miritich missing those shots in the series, series that he had in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who's that guy? Is it Kyle Korver? And do you trust him more than Nico Miritich? Is it Wesley Matthews? That seems to be the thing that's evaded the Bucks the most this season is we've seen, you know, Wes Matthews, we, Pat Connaughton, whoever it is, 
save for George Hill, has been a very streaky shooter. So mm. can they find that consistent guy that can knock down a shot in a big spot that isn't Giannis or Chris Middleton? Or Brooke? And you and I were just looking at the roster. There's nobody on this current roster that has ever won an NBA title, right? Yep. That's remarkable. So a lot of guys uh, know what's on the line. George Hill and Corver the closest. Justin Garcia, thanks, man. I appreciate it. We'll be listening tomorrow. It all starts broadcast time 12 noon for game one of the opening round. Bucks magic. You'll hear every Bucks playoff game right here on WTMJ.